Well, good morning, Hope Community Church. It's a good day to be in the house, and I'm excited you're here. I want to welcome all those, um, all those watching online, everybody here, and all of the locations. We're excited for today, and I'm excited that you're here. This is our third installment on our Freedom Series. We're, we've been talking about money for the past couple of weeks, and... Uh, we're going to hit it hard again today. We've, we've been talking the past couple weeks about our mentality about money, how we, how we think, our perspective on it. And today I want to start the first of a couple weeks on, on the management of money and God's expectations. So you came back, so that means you didn't get scared off. You came back, and we're going to dig into this a little more. Look, it's our philosophy here that you shouldn't give under compulsion. Paul says that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be compelled to give. You shouldn't feel like there's a bunch of pressure to be generous or to do things a certain way. We believe that God wants to set us free when it comes to area finances. No matter if you got a little or a lot, God's design for us is not to be burdened with it. Amen? So we lay our heads down at night in freedom. We wake up in the morning in freedom. And so there's biblical principles on how to handle that stuff in order to be free. And so that's what we're leaning into this morning. So why don't you stand to your feet one more time and turn to 1 Timothy. This is Paul's first letter to Timothy. We're going to start in chapter 6. Say amen if you're ready. So Paul's writing this to Timothy in his first letter to him. It says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension, slander and evil and suspicions. And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils and is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the coming appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who alone is, has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, 
to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Father, we thank you so much this morning, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you that everything you've given us, Lord, we can enjoy. Lord, we pray that the motivations of our heart would be right with you and the actions would line up. We pray, God, that because because we follow your plan, Lord, that that we'd be free from the burden of money. We'd be able to enjoy the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for it, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Paul's writing his first letter to Timothy. Timothy has become the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a port town and it is, there's a lot of money flowing in and out. It's a, it's an affluent neighborhood, you could say. And so the church was started. And if you remember, uh, maybe a month ago, we talked about Paul's second missionary journey where he picks up Timothy. Scholars believe that Timothy was probably a convert of Paul's. And on his second missionary journey, you remember Paul and Barnabas have a big argument at the beginning of it. And Paul and Silas go uh, one way and Barnabas and John Mark go another way. So on Paul's planned journey, he runs into a couple roadblocks, but on that journey, he ends up picking up Timothy. Timothy ends up traveling with him and ends up being with him for years. After a couple missionary trips, Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to pastor the church. And This is where we get Paul's communication with Timothy. He's left him in Ephesus to pastor the church. He's equipped him. He's he's poured into him. He's mentored him. And now he's leaving him in Ephesus saying, hey, hey, make sure sure that the the doctrine's right. Make sure that the the people believe what, what we taught. Make sure that they're being taught correctly. And so he leaves him there. And then, then we get his correspondence to Timothy in First and Second Timothy. Well, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he is combating some false doctrines, some false beliefs that have crept into the church. Anytime you go anywhere, even, even if it's your family and kids or friends, and, and you present something new and and and. And, and you present a new concept and a, a new belief system, there's opportunities for that to be diluted and polluted and all kinds of things. So this happens in the church of Ephesus. Now remember, we're not talking about a poor community here. We're talking about an affluent area. It's a port city. There's money just flowing. And in Ephesus, money had become the object gaining wealth. And so this mentality had crept into the church. Matter of fact, matter of fact, at the beginning of chapter six, 
It says they're having all these arguments. He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil, suspicion and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth. Imagining that, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So what had crept into the church was this idea that, okay, Ephesus is an is a booming town and it's just money flowing everywhere. And if I come into the church, the church is another means by which I can attain wealth. I, we're willing to start a fight in order to gain money. We're willing to cause controversy because godliness is a means to gain. So it had nothing really to do about a relationship with Christ. It had nothing really to do with a with a devotion to God is our, is our Lord and Savior. It was, it was, hey, this is another way to pad the bank account. And so Paul, in the sixth chapter of his first letter to Timothy, he is telling him, man, you've got to hold the ground. You've got to, you've got to teach that this is not what this is about. You've got to, you've got to set the standard for what, for what this looks like. And so, Paul resisted something that we do all the time and, and something that I've done all the time. You know, you, you ever run across somebody that did something you didn't like and, and, you in, and, and you're like, well, you can't, you shouldn't do that. And then, you, and then you just abolish all of that type of thinking, all of that, whatever it was. Maybe you did it with your kid, like they came home late and you're like, well, you can never drive the car again. We used to call that throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So what happens in church, what happens in religious groups, is there, there's a tendency when money is being mishandled by people or, or there becomes a love of money or, or the, an unhealthy relationship with money to just throw the whole thing out and say money is evil. Money is not good. Money is horrible. And, and you shouldn't pursue it. You shouldn't worry about it. And you, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't like being somehow being poor is some, is some benefit to us. And actually, if you read in the sixth chapter of Paul writing to Timothy, he's not saying that at all. He's saying there are people in the church of Ephesus that are starting fights and they believe that godliness is a form of gain, like a way to make something. And that's not true. But money in and of itself isn't bad. So Paul starts to reinforce what he's already taught Timothy. And he said, hey man, you've got to teach this really, really well. And you've got to make sure people understand what the deal is. So Paul tells him, you have to make sure that people's foundations are sound. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Okay, I, I, need, to, I need to stop there. He did not... It's important to realize what Paul is saying here. So remember the context. We're in a very wealthy town. Everybody's chasing the dollar. Everybody's going for it. And, and the money's flowing. It's a port city. 
And it's crept into the church to the point where people are going after each other over it. The godliness is a, is a way to make, make something. And, and Paul, Paul is instructing Timothy, hey, listen, it's because of this pursuit of wealth. It's because of the desire to be rich. The, the desire to be rich. We fall into temptation and to a snare into many senseless and harmful desires. So he's not saying money is what causes us to fall into temptation. He said it's a desire in us. Those are two different things. Those are two different things. That's like, that's like saying chocolate made me fat. Are you following me? Chocolate can't make me fat unless my unhealth, unless my desire for it becomes unhealthy to the point where it makes me fat. I have an unhealthy relationship with chocolate. I'll prove it. (laughs) So me and my wife were at um, Cracker Barrel the other night, had a nice little dinner by ourselves. I ordered the chicken and dumplings. It was fabulous. What happened was, do you, do you realize that Cracker Barrel sets the whole place up for caloric intake? So what happens is I, I walk in the store and, you know, there's a 15-minute wait, so we got to walk around where all the goodies are. So I love uh, two types of nuts. I love pecans and walnuts. Pecans are actually my favorite. So, so I, I walk by the thing and I, and I realize... They have chocolate, milk chocolate covered pecans. Uh, I thought, this is going to go well tonight. So we walk in, we sit down and eat. I eat my chicken and dumplings and, and, and we have a good talk, conversation. And we, on the way out, we walk up to the cash register and I'm, we're almost ready to pay. And I went, oh, wait a second. I walk back, back to the thing and I buy the $7 pack of chocolate-covered pecans. And, and my wife made a little joke about, oh, yeah, he saw the chocolate-covered pecans, got to have a box. So, I mean, I don't know how big it was, about this big. It was enough for the family to eat, I'd say. You know, one of those things you set on the countertop, open the top of it, and, and let the family snack on it over a couple of days. Chocolate-covered pecans can't make you fat unless you eat all of them in one setting. So what happens, come on, I know nobody else has ever done this, but what happens is I had just eaten my fill of chicken and dumplings, and then I turn right around, I buy the $7 pack of chocolate covered pecans. We get in the car. I rip the top open like, like I'm having a relapse and I rip the top open and I'm just one after it's like raisins. Like, like I'm just eating them one after another. So we stop it. We stop. We have to stop at the grocery store to get a couple things. We had some friends coming over in the next couple days. We're going to fix dinner for them. So we get a couple things and I'm just plucking them away, plucking them away. Just eating them like like they're cal- calori- calorie free. I'm just eating them, and so then what happens is I have to stop my gluttonous behavior. I have to stop it to go into the grocery store, and then when we when I come back out of the grocery store, I'm driving. I put them right down on my seat and I start eating them again. 
But uh, I know that if I eat the whole thing, it'll look bad. So I, I leave four or five of them in the bottom and I set them on the kitchen counter. <laughs> By the way, I went to bed that night miserable because I ate a pound of chocolate covered pecans. Chocolate covered pecans can't make you fat unless your desire for them is unhealthy. So, so Paul is not writing Timothy to tell him money is unhealthy or, or the use of money is unhealthy or, or working to get money is unhealthy or having more money is unhealthy. He's saying if you have an unhealthy desire towards money, if it's, if it's thrown your if it's thrown your relationships out of balance and it's thrown your family out of balance and it's thrown you out of balance and your relationship with money is unhealthy, then it can cause massive amounts of problems in your life. Massive amounts of problems. He said those who desire to be rich, those who have an unhealthy desire to be rich, that will forsake families and friends and cause arguments and stab people in the back and do whatever and come into the church and cause problems. If you have that type of desire to be rich, it can make your life painful. And here's the truth of the matter, lean in. No amount of money that you make can satisfy that. No amount of money that you make can satisfy that. And so we have to get the foundation right. Paul's telling Timothy, listen, here's the problem. The problem is not money. Money's kind of innocuous. Money is not a thing. Money doesn't have a good or side or bad side. It's our unhealthy desire for it that is causing the problem in the church. It'll, we can fall into all kinds of temptations, into a snare, into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So here's the deal. Why we do what we do can determine whether it ruins us or not. So, I'm not going to go to Cracker Barrel anytime soon and get any more chocolate-covered pecans. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. So I have to be able to control the desire I have for those things. So I have to say, hey, you know what? I realize my desire for that is, a little, is, is unhealthy and it's going to cause me problems in the future. So look, if, if, you're, if you're sitting here this morning and you realize that that you're, that you're working just to make another dollar and it's affecting your family or your marriage or your friendships or, or the people that you love. If, if, if it's become unhealthy and it's tempting you to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do or tempting you to do things that are ungodly, then, then we need to put that in check. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying. Timothy, teach the church that this can be a dangerous desire. Because then he says in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He didn't say money again. He said an unhealthy desire for money. How do I love money? I love people. I love, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my friends. I love, I love some of you. Some. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds. He said, this, this unhealthy desire for it is what is tripping the church up. So making money is not bad, but the worship of it will kill you. Making money is not bad, but an unhealthy desire for it, putting it first in your life, will kill you. 
So I need to ask, what's motivating you to make money? Because there are good motivations to make it. There are good motivations to go out and get a job and earn a living. Somebody say amen. There are good motivations to do that. So we have to ask ourselves, why am I working the overtime? Why am I putting so much? So let's start out with the first one. Do you realize enjoying the money that you earn is not an ungodly thing? Come on, can we just get over this? If I come into your house and I say, oh man, I see you got a new couch. Yeah, you know, we kept the old one so long. You know, we... we you know, Johnny fell through it the last time he sat on it. So we figured it would, it would, it was time to get another one, but we got the worst couch you could buy. You know, we want to be frugal. No, why would you do that? If you have to sit on the couch, buy one that you enjoy sitting on. Amen. If you have to drive the car, buy one that you enjoy driving and then thank God for it. Because There is no extra credit for driving or sitting. There's no extra credit for going to your house and sitting on a couch that you hate. That doesn't make you godly. That makes you cheap. There's no extra credit for, Lord, you know what? I bought a couch. My whole family hates it. And I just want to know I did that in honor of you. And God's like, what'd you do that for? Why don't you, I gave you the capability to earn money. Why didn't you buy a couch that you liked? Why didn't you buy a car that you enjoy driving? Enjoyment of what God has given us is a godly thing. Look at your neighbor and say, you should enjoy it more. You should enjoy it more. It's a godly thing to enjoy what God has given us. The second thing that's good to earn money for is providing for our family. It's good to provide for our families. It's good to feed your kids. That's a responsible thing to do. It's good to have a roof over your head. It's good to have clothes. It's, that's a godly thing. Why do you go to work? So I can feed my family. Another thing, doing good to others. What do you go to work for? Man, I want to be in a position where if somebody needs something, I can help them out. That's a godly thing to do. Being generous is not a bad thing. One more thing. Do you realize that it's actually a biblical principle to leave an inheritance? So it's biblically correct. It's God honoring to work hard during your life and handle your money in a way that when you're gone, you can pass it on. You can bless. Actually, the Bible says your kids, kids, your grandkids, that you can be a blessing, not to the next generation, but the next, next generation. So going out and working hard and earning a living and handling your money the right way is a godly thing. Paul is not saying just, well, just throw the baby out with the bathwater. There, there's, there's come a, an unhealthy doctrine in the church. We just got to get rid of money. Can I, can I make a proposition to you this morning that even if we got rid of money, we'd find something to trade and be unhealthy about? Money's just a thing we use as currency. So Paul is not saying that you're earning a good living is bad. He's saying that, you're, that it could turn into an unhealthy desire. It could take the place of God. It can cause so much strife and so much heartache and have little benefit if you go after it like it's the only thing. 
So Paul's telling Timothy, man, you've got to drill down on this and make sure the church understands it. There's good things to do. And he says this. He actually says, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age. I started thinking about that. I started realizing that there's two times that you can be rich. He actually makes a time delineation right there. He doesn't say, as for the rich. He says, as for the rich in a certain time period. He says, as for the rich in this present age, that means there's another age to come. He says, as for the rich currently, as for the people right here, as for the rich in this present age, I started thinking, that must mean there is another age that we can be rich. So that doesn't mean, just because you're rich in this period of time doesn't mean you're rich in the time to come. I started, so I started thinking, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. So is Paul saying that if I'm rich now, what I do with my riches now can impact if I'll be rich later in the age to come? So just because we've been able to figure out how to earn money now does not necessarily mean it's the blessing of God that has poured that money out on us because he tells us that we can have an unhealthy relationship with money, unhealthy desire. So he tells Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, I need you to tell them something. I need you to tell them something because we don't want them just to be rich now. We want them to also be rich in the age to come. And what you do now, how you handle things now, how you think about things now, where you put money now, how you, how you do the whole relationship between money and your relationship with God now indicates riches in the future, in this life to come, in eternal life. So he says, as for the rich in this present age, I wrote this, we can be rich in this age and poor in the one to come. Jesus says this in Matthew or Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? He's saying, what does it matter if you're rich in this present age and you forfeit the age to come? And then Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, about a, a rich fool. Now, this is not the rich young ruler we talked about last week. This is this is is a parable of the rich fool. It goes like this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know what he just said? He said, listen to me. If you have an unhealthy relationship, covetous, covetousness, if you're envious, jealous of what somebody else has, if you want one, if you have an unhealthy relationship with money that you can't be happy for somebody else, be careful because your life just doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. So he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to the soul, my soul, soul, you have an ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So listen, when Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this age, he's saying, teach people who have wealth now how to also have wealth in the future, in eternity. If you back up to Jesus' teaching in Luke, he says, this guy was able to accumulate wealth in this age, but he was not in a right relationship with God. Matter of fact, he didn't even consider God. And so his unhealthy relationship with money and his unhealthy relationship with God caused him to make decisions that, that didn't impact his eternity. He was making decisions for the here and now. So the parable goes that, that his life was, was ended that day. And he took none of it with him. You can be rich in this age and dirt poor in the one to come if you're not careful. And Paul's telling Timothy, man, you've got to drill down on the church and make sure they understand this. There's two times to be rich. You've got to make sure you get the, right, get, the, get the longest time right. So how do we do that? How, how do we do that? I know this is going to uh, make some of your hearts flutter and get nervous and all that stuff. But we, we started a couple weeks ago in, in connect groups. Some of you are going through the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. We're, we're, we're in a group with some people going through the legacy journey. Some of you are, some of you are, are figuring out how to teach your kids about it. But here's what's available. To everybody who is in a connect group, a budget app is available. Because the best way to make sure that you're handling and have a right relationship with money here is to have a plan for it, is to have a plan for it. The best way to make sure you have a right relationship with money here and you are preparing for the age to come is to have a plan for it. You've heard the old saying, if you're not planning, then you're planning to fail. So what Paul tells Timothy is Paul says, because there is an unhealthy relationship with money in the church, I need you to teach the people who have money now how to plan well for the future, for the age to come. So he says, advise the rich in this present age. Advise them in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So he says, listen, don't put all your faith in the money you have because it's here today, gone tomorrow. That's not healthy. So don't put all your don't put all your hopes and riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There it is. God provides for us the ability to go out and make a living and actually enjoy the living we make. Amen? So, verse 18. Here's the plan. Now, this may sound simple, but you've got, the, you've got the access to the Dave Ramsey Every Dollar Budgeting app on your phone. I have it on my phone. And you can make sure that your budgeting app plan matches the godly plan. Now, the godly plan is a general plan that you will have to, it's like an overlay on top of your plan. Because Paul doesn't tell Timothy, hey man, you know, you should really only spend about $200 a month on groceries. Now, he's not saying that. 
He's saying, when you think about finances, this is the plan. This is the overarching plan that I want you to think about. All right, let's look at what he says. Verse 18, they are to do good and be rich in good works. There you go. First step, do good, be rich in good works. The second step, to be generous and ready to share. That's a two-step plan. That's a two-step plan. Do good to be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, the storing up for the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Okay, so a couple things. Here is the plan. Trust God alone and enjoy what is entrusted you. That's step one. Where does my resources and source come from? It comes from God alone. So if I make more money, it's because of him. If I make less, not because of him, but he is who I worship regardless if my income goes up or down. He, is, he alone is worthy of my praise. So I trust in God alone, but I also enjoy what he has entrusted to me. The church got to take the frown off our face. If God has blessed us, we should be happy about that. Amen? If God's blessed us, we should be happy about that. We should trust in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So here's the, here's the thing. Never worship the thing God's blessing you with, but never not enjoy it either. So if he's poured it out on me, I'm going to thank him for it. And I'm going to say, Lord, thank you so much for this blessing in my life. I'm going to use it according to your will and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. Okay, so trust in God alone and enjoy what he's entrusted you. The second part of the plan, do good things with what you have been entrusted. Do good things with what you have entrusted. He's entrusted you. If you are going to do good with what you have, you have to plan on what you have doing good. Did you hear that? If you're going to do good things with what you have, you have to plan on what you have doing good. Here's where the budget app comes. I know it would be nice to be like, hey man, you know what? Tomorrow I'm just gonna be generous. Like I just, you know what? I was thinking about it today. I heard Pastor Chris say something about it yesterday and, I, and I'm wake up and I'm gonna just go out and be generous. And then, I, listen, can I be honest with you? The same thing happens to me. I end up at Cracker Barrel eating the, eating the chicken and dumplings and I, and I see the, I see the pecans with chocolate on them and I don't think about generosity anymore. I think about my unhealthy desire for chocolate covered pecans. I don't think about generosity. I don't think about the guy standing in line in front of me. I'm thinking, get out of my way so I can buy these chocolate covered pecans and eat them all. But if I plan for generosity, it becomes easier because I've already thought about it. I don't have to think about it. Come on. If I already thought about it, I don't have to think about it all the time. So I don't have to walk around and look for opportunity. I'll walk around, oh, I missed that one, I missed that one. I'm not sure, I'm too late on this one. No, I've already planned to do it. It's part of the plan. I'm planning to do good. So do good things with what you have been entrusted. So we covered some of this. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We talked about that earlier. There's good things that we can do 
with finances. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Plan to do good things. Planning requires discipline today to, res- to reach a desired outcome tomorrow. So here's what Paul was doing. Paul was instructing Timothy to tell rich people to have not just any plan, but a godly plan with their riches. A godly plan with the riches. Can I just go down through a couple things and make up a godly plan? Here's this. When you're doing your budget, plan to pay your bills. Plan to pay your bills. That's a godly thing. If you made a commitment, if you're getting cable TV in your house, plan to pay the bill. If you're, if you're, if you're driving a car back and forth to work, plan to buy gas. You have to plan for it. Paying our bills, meeting our commitments is a godly thing. Somebody say amen. It's a godly thing. So, well, those church people never pay their bills on time. Those church people never pay the rent on time. Those church people never pay the mortgage on time. No, 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 no. We have a healthy relationship with money. We have a plan, a godly plan, and we're on time. We're early. This is a godly thing to do to pay our bills. The second thing, plan to save for the future. That's good. Have a plan to have a savings. That's good. If you're part of Financial Peace University right now, you know saving $1,000 is the first thing you have to do. Have an emergency backup plan. Saving for the future is a good thing to do. It's a godly thing to do. You have a plan. Here's another plan. Plan to leave an inheritance behind you. My wife and I, Beth and I are trying to figure out right now, how can we do a couple things differently right now that could transform the lives of the people that are coming behind us after we're gone? What are the moves that we have to make right now? Is it pay off the house early? Is it pay off this? Is, is it what, what are the moves right now that can cause us to change the destiny of the people behind us? My kids first and then others. Change the destiny. And then the fourth leg of the plan to be generous to others. That's a godly plan. Be generous to others. So that leads us. So he said, plan to do good and then be generous and ready to share. So Paul's actually talking about more than just handing out money. His whole letter to Timothy is drilling down the principle of life changes starts from within. Your relationship with God is in here. It starts here. And then it comes out in how we handle money, how we treat other people, how we plan for the, for the age to come. So if the gospel changed us, then it should also change what we do. So he's not, he's not just saying, hey, just hand money out. He's saying generosity should come out of a heart of generosity, not just checking a box. Be generous and ready to share. It's, a, it's like a koinonia. It's a friendship. It's a fellowship type deal. I'm giving it to you because I care about you. Not because it's a tax deduction. I'm giving it to you because I genuinely care. Paul was encouraging a fellowship, not just an offering. Can I, can I be really honest with you? Now remember, Paul is writing to Timothy who is pastoring a wealthy area. It's easier to give money than care. 
It's a lot easier to give money than care. It's a lot easier. It's easier to just go, hey, how, how much do you need? You need $50 just to get, I mean, just, just for you to shut up and get out of my face and just give you 50 bucks, get it over. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, how, if, if we're going to have a godly relationship with money, it's going to come out of a heart of love towards God. And if we love God, he loves everybody to the point that he would send his only son. So that means the way we love each other indicates how good our relationship with God is. So I'm not just handing out money to, get, to check a box or get people off my back. I'm, I'm being generous because I care about people because it's a fellowship because I know you're in need and you know, I'm in need. So it's not just like, Hey, whatever it's, it's, I'm sharing in your burden. You're sharing in my burden. We're being generous as the body of Christ. We give of ourselves and of our resources. So he said, plan to do good things. I think Dave Ramsey calls it like this, the now, then, us, them. Now, then, us, them. So now pay your bills. Then save for the future. Us, leave an inheritance. Them, be generous towards others. That's a plan. That's a plan that encompasses what Paul is writing to Timothy. Do plan to do good and plan to be generous. And when you do that, you're not just doing well in this life, you're planning for the life to come. Verse 19, Paul tells Timothy this, storing up treasure for themselves is a good as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Can I make a proposition to you right now? It's that this is not the life that we were intended to live. The life we were intended to live is the life that's coming. The perfect life, the life where there's no pain, no sorrow, no worries, no, no frets, no, 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 none of that. The perfect life that God does, that God originally designed us for is the life to come. So he says, by, by working the plan, having the right relationship with God and letting that affect us and how we handle our money, then translates into a storing up treasure in heaven where we know Jesus said, where nothing can corrupt it. Moth and rust can't destroy it. So so we, we end up storing up for the life to come. So here's the ticket. We're all pretty rich in here comparatively to the rest of the world. So how much more do we say, Lord, I'm looking forward to the future that is to come, the true life that you want us to take hold of. And so I'm going to handle these things that you've entrusted me with, the ability to make wealth and gain wealth. I'm going to have a plan for it, and I'm going to make a budget, and I'm going to have... I don't care if you use the app. I don't care if you write it down on paper, but have a plan. Because the life to come is too important to wing it. The life to come is too important to wing it. It's too important. So I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to wrap this up. If we don't plan in this life, we're by default not planning for the one to come. If we're not planning on this life, if we're not planning in this life for the things that God has blessed us in this life, we're definitely not planning for the one to come. And I'm telling you right now, the best thing the church could do is get our relationship with God 
right and then get our relationship with money right and let it come out of the goodness that God has poured into our life and say, Lord, I'm never going to put finances and money above you. I'm going to handle this in a godly way. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and earn a good living. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy what you've blessed me with. And I'm going to have a plan to do good and be generous. And I am laying up treasures in heaven that nobody can mess with. And I believe that's a godly life. And what I believe is what we talked about last week, that if we could come up with a plan and we could say, God, this is, a, this is a plan that honors you with my finances. I'm taking care of my family. I'm, I'm enjoying what you've given me. I'm planning for the future. I'm being generous towards others. And I'm advancing your gospel. And, I've, and I'm dead set on making this happen. Then what happens is, go back to last week, you find out, that he who has been faithful over little will be entrusted over much. And I'm looking forward to a day where the church rises up as the people who have, know how to handle what God has given them. And the whole world looks at us and man, how are they pulling that off? Because we have a godly plan for our finances and we are storing up treasures for the life to come. Amen. Come on, give him praise and honor this morning. He is worthy of it. Lift your voice. Come on, sing out this morning of God's goodness to you and his faithfulness to you. And let him know that you will never let money get in the way of between you and him. And that he is the sole purpose and and target of your affection. And that you will make a plan today.